You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Today we start a series called Deeper Into the Letter from James. Now I know James is full of nuggets because my Bible looks like a rainbow, all the highlighting in the book of James. All the stuff that's like, wow. Let me remind you, as we've studied these books in the past, we've studied letters, that letters were written to a certain group of people. We got to take the context. We got to remember who they were written to, when they were written. It's very important as we, as we extrapolate the text. Today, I want you to know that this letter in particular was written by James, otherwise known as Jacob, otherwise known as James the Just, otherwise known as the half-brother of Jesus. <laughs> he is the half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine being the half-brother of Jesus? Now, here's the interesting thing about James. He didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. In fact, in, in John 7, verses 3 through 5, him and his brothers mocked Jesus. So he had an encounter with his stepbrother. <laughs> and so after the resurrection, he became a pillar of the church in Jerusalem when Peter left to start other churches. So James is a patriarch. And James, in essentially this letter, isn't just written to a particular city like Ephesus or Philippi, like these letters that Paul wrote. This is a letter written to the body of Christ. And it was essentially the legacy of James. He's writing down his wisdom. He's challenging the church. And this letter is infused by two particular areas that he was infused with, which was Proverbs and then the Sermon on the Mount. So James is writing this, and he's writing to the church going through a tough time. The church is going through extreme famine, extreme poverty, and extreme persecution. In fact, the Jewish leaders are pulling Christians out and, and they're throwing him into jail. This is how bad it is. And so what is James speaking to? He's speaking to a people that are discouraged, they lost vision, and they're full of fear. Let me ask you something today. Does that apply to the church today? What do you think? You think those particular, we, we are in some ways the church that has lost vision. We're full of fear. We, we, we were discouraged. But, so James's letter back then is still applicable in 2023. So I want us to hear this today, and I want you to know that he is so eloquently trying to build the, the, the gap between faith and works. And so as we go through this, I want to do something a little bit different. We're going to go through and actually read the text. Is that okay? Can we read a lot of scripture today? Is that all right? Is that okay in the, in the church? I know some of you are used to like only one scripture and that's it, and my thoughts around it. I, I want to read scripture because I believe that it's going to release something in you today. But I also know that there's a proper way that over these next five weeks we're going to do this is we're going to reflect on the scripture and then we're going to respond to the scripture. So let's start today in James 1. If you have your Bibles, James 1, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. So if you have your phone, you can dial up ESV, not to be mixed up with SFV, SWV, remember SWV, Sisters with Voices? Notice I only turned to Jake because that's the only person that probably understands. Okay, that's okay. The rest of you, okay, and two other, thank you, thank you. Where am I? James 1. <laughs> James 1, here we go. James 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now let me pause for a moment. He's speaking to all the Christians that have left Jerusalem because they have been persecuted. 
Isn't it interesting that persecution, the enemy meant for evil, what does it do? It spreads the gospel all throughout the land. Come on now, that's a theme here. We'll keep going. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, or a double-minded fool in some translations. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower in the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say he is not no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted, listen to this, when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is, has been conceived, gives birth to sin, and in sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, with which there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by his word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. Not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Today, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that what's written back then is still applicable today. Lord, we just thank you today that you will give us ears to hear and understand your word and apply it to our hearts. Lord, we're asking for an encounter today. We don't just want some man to read the word. We want an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So I'm asking right now at the sound of my voice, every person here and online, that they would hear the word and it would radically transform them. We're asking right now in this place that there's anyone who does not know Jesus, that they would be convicted and loved by your presence and they would find themselves saying, what must I do to be saved? I'm declaring even in this room today, right now, if there's anyone that's sick, that you will heal them as the word washes over them, that your Holy Spirit will touch 
touch them from the front to the back of this room, that no person will leave this place the same way they came in. In Jesus' name. What is the overall theme today? What do we need to meditate on? James is sharing the answers to successful living during tough times. I titled this message, Cheat Sheet. How many of you ever had a cheat sheet growing up in school? Okay, that's real talk. Let me, let me put it this way. How many ever read Cliff Notes? Okay, there we go. That's a cheat sheet, by the way. I don't know if you know that. You didn't read the book. You read the Cliff Note. For some of you young people who don't know what Cliff Notes was, that was a way for us to get around reading these big books. You'd find the cliff note. They're about this long, and they kind of get to the crust of it. So you just go in and you do your, you do your report, and hopefully the questions they ask were in the cliff notes. Well, I have to tell you today, the test of life will come. So God is giving you in his word through James the cheat sheet of life. Let me share with you what it is. James 1. This is going to be the scripture we're, we're going to extrapolate from. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing, there it is, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're going to describe today how you can use the answers in the Word of God to beat the tests of life. See, James is talking to a church that had been going through 20 years of persecution, 20 years of tough times. But did you know that the church was built for tough times? Okay, Steve, thank you for that. The rest of you, Steve was in the first service, he knows. The rest of you, do you know that the church, you, listen, let me say this. You were designed and built for tough times. Did you know that? See, your mind tells you you weren't. You want to hit the easy button, right? You want to get out of your issues. But you were created. You were, the church flourishes. It flourishes in tough times. I want to say this to you. The success and health of the Christian and the church is determined in the hard times, not in the celebration seasons. Your maturity is found in the valley, not on the mountaintop. Let me read this quote from Thomas Commerce, who's a Scottish minister. He was a theologian. He was uh, both the leader of the Church of Scotland. He lived from 1780 to 1847. He says this, this is truly a delicious epistle. How precious it's the very first lesson by which I am bidden to rejoice when various trials come upon me. May I encounter all these in the spirit of faith, even a faith that worketh patience, that I may do more than endure. May I even welcome these tribulations in the spirit of confidence in him, who is both a very present help in time of trouble and a very present help in time of temptation. Let me roll all upon God. Trials and temptations, tests will come. And they will vary from person to person. But here's the deal. People have various degrees of endurance, but God wants to raise you up so that you can weather each and every storm. James is trying to get you to see the level of maturity in your life by the response to the adversity in your life. I want to give you an example. 
There is a phenomenon that's been going on for years, actually. It's something that sports athletes have been doing. It's called cold water immersion. You've seen this. Athletes getting in the cold tub, right? After that, I want to show you some pictures here because now people are purchasing tubs to put outside and fill it with ice cold water. Some of the people I watch, they're actually breaking the ice to immerse themselves into the water. I'm talking about 50 to 59 degrees for 10 to 15 minutes. Now, some of you may not think that's a long time, but I, I beg you, tomorrow, tomorrow while you're taking that shower, put it all the way to cold and see how long you, <gasps> you start to hyper, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Now, imagine for 10 to 15 minutes immersing your whole body in water. Now, the reason why they do this is because it's been proven now, scientifically, that this does something to you. Look at, the, look at the things it does. Not only does it make you hyperventilate, just kidding. Cold water therapy, listen, can improve your circulation, boost your immune system, deepen your sleep, spike your energy levels, and reduce inflammation in your body. And so athletes are now starting, and they're selling these tanks so that you every morning can jump in the cold tub and awaken your body. Better than coffee. You can drink your coffee in the ice tub. There you go. Okay, best of both worlds. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because the only way you get the benefit of the process is by building up the endurance to the extreme nature of the immersion. Now, some of you understand where I'm going. Some of you, not so quick. I'm going to break that down for you. You can't reap the rewards of this good circulation, a boosted immune system, deepening your sleep, unless and when you can't reap the rewards if you immediately jump out of the situation. What I'm trying to tell you is this is what James is saying, that your trials and your tests are designed to give you endurance so you can be and grab a hold of the benefits of the kingdom. Many of us, we're trying to get out. Ooh, it's cold, got to get out. There you go. That's a sign. I don't know what it is. Some, there you go. Uh, we hear you, Lord. Okay. So how do we respond? How do we respond to James 1? Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Like, count it all joy when you go through hell. Count it all joy when you make a tent in the valley. How in the world, Pastor Mark, you want me to count this joy when I'm going through the hardest time of my life? It's not the joy that you can order on Amazon and get two-day delivery. It's not the joy that you can rub against somebody and hopefully that from some way, like, like osmosis is going to get on me. No, it's the joy that is supernatural. It's a spirit-filled joy. It's a joy you take from the tree of the Holy Spirit. You cannot get this joy. You can't fake this joy. You can't manufacture this joy. You can't try to joy yourself up. It's only through the Holy Spirit. This is the joy that you count when you go through trials. You worship God in the midst of a trial. You look foolish to the world. The world looks at you and go, are you insane? This is the kind of joy when people pass and the spouse is sitting on the front row worshiping the Lord and you're thinking your spouse just passed away but there's a joy knowing that their spouse is face to face with God. That's a supernatural joy. That's a joy that you can't purchase. That's a joy that James is talking about. He's referencing Nehemiah 8.10 when Nehemiah looks to all the people and he says, listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It is your strength. It's what gets you through it. It's what is calling you to say, grab a hold of this joy. You won't get through it any other way. If you want the benefits of the kingdom, you have to endure the trials. 
It's all about our responses. It's not about your lack of trials and tests. They're coming. Scripture says it. I don't know where we get this prosperity message. I mean, listen, God wants to bless you. Don't get it wrong. But you will go through hard times. It's in Scripture. Jesus went through hard times. If Peter went through hard times, if Paul went through hard times, if the stepbrother went through hard times, you're going to go through it. But the good news is you have an ever-present help in time of trouble. So I want to give you three words here. I want you to write these down. Knowing, believing, and doing. Because this is the way, this is how you're going to measure where you're at in your maturity with Christ. Because the first step is, is, is knowing. Knowing word. And I think I'm, it's safe to say in the buckle of the Bible belt, when I look out around these people here today, that just about every one of you know Scripture. You're going to quote Scripture. And if you don't, you can use John 3, 16, because even the world knows that. And if you're desperate, you can even say Jesus wept, because that's a Scripture too. You know enough. You know enough. But I want you to remind you that the Pharisees knew the Word. So that's the first step in your walk with Christ. The next one is believing. This is a sign of maturity. Not only do you know the word, but you believe what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I believe that. I believe that. That's the next step. For many of you in this room, you believe the word is true. You believe that this is God's word. It's written. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is alive and well and applicable for today. But the next step, the step in your maturity is doing it. This is obedience. There's so many people in the world that know the word, but they don't walk it out. And this is the step that we have to get to because James says in verse 25, he says, be a doer who acts, not a hearer who forgets. Gives an example of a mirror. Looking in a mirror, how foolish would this be? You look in a mirror, you, you look at yourself, and say, ooh, you look good today. All right now, come on now. You look at, and as soon as you walk away, you forget what you look like. That's how foolish the church looks because we know the word, we believe the word, but are we really doing the word? And that's what I want for this church. I'm not interested in people that can quote the word. Listen, I, I don't care about all your degrees and all the things that you've done. You preach, you did this. If you're not doing it, if you're not living it, if you ain't going through it. I want to apply James and I want to parallel it with Romans. Can I do that today? I'm going to do it anyway. Romans 8. 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How many like that scripture? Come on, you can, you can, that's right, it's good. Everybody likes it. But here's the problem we do with that scripture. We take only a piece of it. This is what we quote. All things work together for good. Mm-mm-mm, I need that job. All things work together for good. Mm -mm -mm. That man looks good. I can't. Ooh, all things work together for good. By the way, I'm not saying that. That's somebody in this room. Just want to clarify, we live in a strange time. It's for somebody in this room, not for me. We want God to do anything we want, and we use the scripture. But can I remind you, the emphasis in Romans 8:28 is not on the good, it's on the whom. Come on now, for we know that those who love God, come on now, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There's a good thing happening when you're called and you're in his purpose. You can't be outside of his purpose claiming the benefits. That's twisted scripture, and that was a band back in the 80s. Some of you got that. 
When you are in his purpose, the trials and tests will make you better. When you're in his purpose, the trials, listen, there are trials. There's the world's trials and there's God allowed trials. Now, let me explain the difference. The world's trials are self-inflicted. Some of us in this room, we're blaming God for something you got yourself into. Let's just be honest. You're, you're telling God, I don't know why I can't make it. I can't get ahead in this job. God's like, because I never told you to get that job. And the world tries to do this. That's why the world has this problem, always blaming God forever. If there was a God, how could he do this? He is so good that he keeps everything existing. The reason why the world is a mess is because people are trying to play God. But if you put yourself on the other side where God allowed trials, you know what that does? Those are divine appointments to make you more like him. I'll give you an example. I go to this gym, and one of the reasons why I go is because this coach, his name's Zach, He's amazing. This guy's got six packs, eight packs. He's no fat on him. He could do any kind of flip and everything. I mean, he's, he's amazing, man. I, I look at the stats at the end of the day. He's lifted the most. I'm like, man, I suck. You know, like that kind of thing. But the reality is when I'm in there, here's the deal. Coach Zach, he doesn't make it easier on me. His job is not to go, listen, Mark, I know you had a bad week. It's been tough. I know this is, it's cold this morning. How about we just take some of that weight off and you know, just sit there. It's going to be okay. You don't have to lift today. No, no. His job is to make sure that I'm doing things so that I'm more effective and I get more benefit from the workout. See, the reality is when he walks around, because I know he's a great encourager and he knows how to call the greatness out of people, he will walk around and sometimes he'll call me out and be like, Mark, Mark, Mark. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. He goes, go lower. Go lower with your squats. Anybody know about squats? I hate squats, right? They hurt. Because next day you wake up like an old man. You're walking through your house. You're trying to get up a step, and it's, you're praising Jesus just because you made one. The squats. He's like, go lower. I'm like, be quiet. Go lower. Be quiet. Go dip it lower. Dip it. And I'm telling you, the reality is he knows that if I will do what he says, it may hurt for a moment, but the benefit Come on, he's looking at the benefit. See, the reality is if we didn't have a coach in our gym, people would be checking out. They'd be going like this, going, okay, okay. But the coach causes you to go deeper. Come on, the coach causes you to lift more. The coach causes those things in you that you didn't think were in you, that perseverance, that place inside of you that you have to call forth, it comes out in the trial. It comes out in the testing. And I'm telling you, walk out of the gym going, ooh, I'm hurting, but guess what? You like the aspect of what takes place, right? That was to my wife. I just had to confirm that. It was a little back and forth. She didn't sound convincing. That's why I'm still working on it. Here's my question to you. This is my question to you and me today. Do we produce steadfastness? Do we produce steadfastness? What is the Greek word steadfastness? It's hopaneo, which means patience. The characteristic, listen to me, of a man who has not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trial or suffering. That means somebody that is so fixated on what God is saying that there's nothing going to distract him and get him off course. There's nothing that the, someone around him could say that could stop him from pressing towards the mark. That's what James is saying. Come on now, don't give up. Don't give up. How do we put this in context with the gospel story? Number one, I want you to write this down. People are always watching you. You want to testify of his goodness? Start living it out. You know what? Listen, it's, people, people have no, they, they expect you to celebrate when you win the lottery. 
Come on now. Some of you are like, I claim that in Jesus' name. That was a prophetic word for me. No, so people, people expect you to celebrate when you get a new job or you get a new car, but they don't expect you to have joy when you go through hell. So they're watching you. I'm telling you, we've heard it before. People have come up to us after and said, you know, Pastor, when you were going through that, I was watching you. I said, that sounds like a prophetic song written back in the day because I always feel like there's somebody watching me. <laughs> Prophet Rockwell, man, he wrote a song as a declaration to us as a church. People are watching you, and they're watching when you go through it. And you don't think so, but I'm telling you, it is true. And they're watching you. They're trying to see, will he crack? Will she crack? Someone's observation is your testimony. Think about that for a moment. Someone's observation is actually your living testimony. Some of the greatest testimonies are not the words you speak, but the life you live. People are watching your response to your trials and tests. That's why James says in verse 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How many know we flip that, man? Ooh, we slow to hear, quick to type, quick to post, quick to anger. And James knew that. And he said, listen, 2023, you got to slow it down. Because you're going to want to say something about the government. You're going to want to say something about the virus. You're going to want to say something about this church. You're going to want to say something about your ex. And you have to be slow. I think if he wrote this today, he'd not only say speak, but also he'd say post. How many know the, the story of Job? We know the story, right? We love Job. Or Job, if you're Kanye. Either way, he's Job. The reason why we love Job is because we know the whole story. Hear me now. We know the whole story, so we love Job. But the reality is, in one day, he lost all his wealth and all his children. One day. It's worse than any Monday you'll ever have. That's a bad day. Oh, it gets even better. He, he was then struck with painful sores all over his body. And if you think that wasn't enough... His helpmate, his rib, come on now, his best friend, his wife says this to him. She says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. <laughs> Women, there you go. That's a wife that loves you well. She essentially, she's saying, are you still alive, Job? You still, you still breathing? What are you still doing? And here's the deal. All heaven was watching his response. Because if you read the very beginning of the book, the enemy comes into the courts of heaven and asks God. He said, hey, I've been roaming the earth. And God says this. This is so interesting because I'm sure Job would have said, hold up a second. God says, have you considered my servant Job? Job would have been like, are you kidding me, God? Like, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I'm doing good. I don't need no consideration. But God knew what was in Job before Job knew what was in him. And God was willing to put his reputation on the line in the courts of heaven because he knew that Job wouldn't let him down. I'm telling you right now, and this is scary to come out my lips, but how many of us could say, let me be like Job? Come on now. That the heaven would say, we, he, God's got him. God's got Steve. God's got Gloria. Come on, God's got Papa Chuck. I know, I listen, heaven's like, we got this. I want to be that person. I don't want to lose my wife and kids, but I'm, I want to be able to say that heaven goes, Mark's got this. I'm with him. I trust him. His friends came around. Listen to this. This is what I want you to hear, too. Because his friends came around, and they did some good things, right? They did. What did they do? They, they came to him, and we were suffering. That's good. 
They weeped with him. That's good. And they spent time with him. But here's the problem. This is what they said. They accused Job of doing wrong things. That the reason why you're going through your trial is because you must be in sin. And I want you to write this down. This is number two. Don't always assume your trial is a result of your sin. Somebody needs to hear that because you're walking around in shame because you're going through hell. And you feel like all I've done was I've, I've, I've tried to do the right thing. Welcome to the club. But I got good news for you. Job was in this, and he did not have the benefit of the ending of the book. So even though Job was going through it, he didn't know that he was going to reap even more. He didn't know that it was going to be brought back to him in abundance. But Job still went through it. You have the beauty of the end of the story. So you know if God can do that for Job, what can he do for you? He'll do it again. Come on, Brandy, you sang that. He'll do it again. And the reality is some of you need to grab a hold of someone's testimony and say, if he can do it for her, he could do it for me. If he could do it for Job, he could do it for me. If he could do it for any of these knuckleheads in the Bible, he could do it for me. Because the reality is he's the same. Did we just sing this? He's the same God of Jacob. He's the same God of Mary. He's the same God to you. He will see it through and the last one is I want you to write this down remember tests are normal in school if you didn't get tested you could never determine your ability and eligibility to graduate some of you guys want God to do great things in your life but you can't get past the unforgiveness part that's the first test Jesus makes it very clear he said if you don't forgive others I can't forgive you you want to see revival? Start, here, start forgiving people. <laughs> I wish people would preach this to me when I was growing up because I just thought like we just want the fire, fire, fire. No, the forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of unselfishness. Get rid of all these things that are holding us back. That's the test today. Can you walk with each other? Can you go to church without causing a fight? Can you sit next to somebody who you disagree with and actually love them? If you could do those things, guess what? Now you're on to 102. We want to cast out demons, but meanwhile, we can't live in relationship with each other. And the demons know that. So I want you to remember today, if you're going through a test, that's normal. You want to be more like Christ? It's normal. But good news, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Why are we counting it all joy, Pastor Mark? Because it perfects something in us. It makes us more like Jesus. And I'm telling you, what you think is meant to destroy you, it's just but a road, uh, just, just a speed bump in your life. Because some of you can attest the thing that you thought was going to destroy you before, you got through it, and now you're into a bigger mountain, you're into a bigger valley, and you don't even know how you're going to get through that. But I guarantee you, when you look back on this season, you'll look back on it and go, oh, wow, I got through that. Because as you build up your endurance, guess what? You can sit in the water tanks of life and actually immerse yourself in the issue because you know that it will not define you, it will not kill you, it will not stop you, but it will only make you stronger and that's the that's the joy that I have you know why I get joy because I know what the enemy meant to destroy me it's only going to make me stronger it's only going to make me more persevering it's going to give me an attitude that I'm going to be like uh-uh not on my watch not with my kids not with my wife not with my finances not with my health some of you need to get that anger back up with the joy of the Lord come on now that is a dangerous combination so let's do Romans 8 again because 
as you know, if you've been here any length of time, we want to take scripture in the context that it's in. Let's pull out something because it sounds good. But Romans 8, if we go to that, back to verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here we go. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, guess what? He also called. And guess what? For those he called, he did what? He justified. And to those he justified, he also glorified. And guess what? It gets even gooder. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who come on now? This, look at the power when you take that scripture in the context it is. This is your cheat sheet, Southview. This is your cheat sheet for every test that you're coming up to. You can extrapolate this. You can begin to pull this out and go, I know this is a test, but guess what? I'm going to pass this test because guess what? Number one, the Spirit intercedes for us. Put that up there if we can. The Spirit intercedes for us. I want you to see this. He's groaning. He's moaning. He's, he's speaking in a different language. And guess what? You have the gift too to pray in other tongues, that you can pray in the Spirit when you have no words. Because how many know when we're in the valley, sometimes we don't have words? So we just go, we begin to pray in the spirit and something shifts around us. That's because it's supernatural. And you're going to fight a supernatural battle. You got to go to a supernatural plane. Number two, this is your guarantee. He has conformed us to his image. He's molding you. He's shaping you. Oh, that hurts. Why? Because he wants to take that out of you that doesn't look like Jesus. Oh man, anything he needs to do, surgery, let's scalpel it out. And then this is what I want you to see. He has called us, he has justified us, and he's glorified us. Now, if you don't know what those words mean, you're going to miss the power of it. Justified, I'm called, he's called you for such a time as this. You're not a mistake. You weren't supposed to be born in a different century. You're not supposed to, you're, you're, whatever your parents said, whatever a teacher said, you are not a mistake. You are called for this time. But you're justified. You know what that means? To declare, pronounce one to be righteous so that he ought to be. He's calling you back to the way you were intended to be. And then he glorifies you. Look at this. To impart glory to something. To render it excellent. Oh, some of you never thought of yourself as excellent. He glorifies you. To cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifested and acknowledged. The purpose of your trials and tests is to call you, justify you, and glorify you. And the last thing, which I love, if God is for you, if the kingdom of heaven is for you, there is literally no one, no thing, or no principality or power that can rise up against you. You gotta get this. If we get this, we will rise above every circumstance. You won't cry in the valley. You'll glorify God and worship him longer and louder than you did when you were on the mountaintop. I'm telling you, we should be worshiping God in a whole nother level when we're going through hell. I love, I love, I love watching people worship that are going through it. There is a desperation in their worship that you just can't manufacture when things are going well. And I'm telling you, what the enemy meant for evil in your life,
God's going to turn around for good. I'm, I mean that. I, I, not only do I mean it, look, who cares what I mean? It's what Scripture says. So here's what I want to do. I want to put these questions up here for you today. You can take a picture of this because I know these are going to be something you're going to need to marinate on this week. But I'm going to spend just the next two minutes. We're going to go into prayer right now. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Because I know that when you leave this room, it might get busy. And you might be tempted to move on. But I want to ask you these questions. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit these questions. What are you going through that can be identified as a trial or test right now? How are you responding? Or let me ask you this. Second, third question is, how should you be responding? And what is the finished product God wants to conform you to? With every eye closed right now, in just the next minute and a half, I want to just ask the Holy Spirit in this moment, because he's here. Holy Spirit, we ask that you speak to us. Give me wisdom in this moment where I'm going through. I'm going to leave this place different than when I came in. With every eye closed, we're not done yet. We're going we're gonna to worship God and we're going to go off on this place. We're going to extend joy today. But this week as I was preparing this, I felt like there was the extreme hopelessness. Somebody was walking in desperation. I didn't feel it in the first service, but I feel it here today. There's someone in this place. You're at the end of your rope and this message might be the only hope you need to just keep climbing. I'm here to tell you he's with you. You've had these moments where you cried out to God and said, I don't know why you forgot me. He's not forgotten you. He's perfecting you. So whoever and whomever I'm speaking to today, I want you to know this, that you will get through this. You'll be stronger than you were when you started this. I believe the Lord's going to repay what the enemy has stolen from you. I don't know who this is for, but I believe someone in this room, you've, you've lost something. You feel like a Job in this moment right now. Even, even your relationships, your close relationships, you feel betrayed. But the Lord says, I will repay what the enemy has stolen. That's my promise to you. But I'm more interested in perfecting you and justifying you and glorifying you today. For the rest of you, if you would stand to your feet, we're going to do something a little bit different. But I think it's only fitting that we walk out this word today. In Psalms 119.11, it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if we could put that scripture up there, James 1. I want you to read this with me out loud, if you would, nice and loud. We're going to read it together. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So with these few remaining moments, I want to do a prophetic declaration today. For some of you, this is going to be weird. Come on up here, sweetie. My wife and I have been in these environments where we've laughed at the lies of the enemy. 
Did you know I was going to do this? Good, because you're going to be my laugher. Some of you have forgotten how to have fun and laugh. And I want to prophetically instill joy back into you. So I'm going to read some lies that some of you believe. And I literally want you to laugh out loud. And if you don't know what laughing looks like, my lovely and talented assistant is going to demonstrate a laugh to you. Some of you, this is hard. You've never put your face up that like that before. It's going to be good for you. For those of you in this room that are married, here's a lie. And then listen, if you're not married, you're single, I want you to laugh with them. Is that okay? Here's a lie you may believe. I want you to laugh at this thing. Your marriage will never be healthy and whole. Mark 9, 23 says, all things are possible for the one who believes. Come on now. For those of you that are single, you bought into this lie. I want you to laugh. Married people, laugh with them because you've been there one time. You will never meet your spouse. Come on now. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Come on, if anybody's having a financial issue, I want to tell you a lie. You'll always be in debt. <laughs> Woo! I got good news for you. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Come on. Some of you believing for a loved one, a family member, here's a lie I want you to laugh loud at. Your children will never change or know God. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. Come on, Sheila, you know that. You know that. Some of you know that. Let me remind all of you that don't feel like laughing. There's a story in Luke 15 called the prodigal son that proves differently. Come on. For those of you struggling with your identity and purpose, I want you to laugh at this. Your purpose will never be discovered. That's a lie. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Come on now. Woo. We're just getting up. We're getting warmed up. I got two more for you. These we need to laugh loud because these people in this room believe. This is for those of you struggling in physical health. You're doomed to be sick. Come on, laugh at that Psalms 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And this one, I'm laughing. I'm going to laugh loud for our nation because for some reason our nation believes this lie about mental health. Fear and depression is the norm. Laugh at that one. Come on. crazy you crazy psalms 34 4 says i sought the lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears ladies and gentlemen you've been given the cheat sheet of life count it all joy count it all joy come on now come on i don't need another reason thank you so much for listening to this message southview church is a non-denominational multi-generational multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing jesus family freedom and unity in the body of christ if you would like to connect with us visit us at southview.cc and follow us on facebook and instagram